However, the bigger challenge I think for our time is to convince people that the world is good enough to look at that you don't need to chemically neuter your brain right. um, in order to avoid it. And that storytelling is a rich part of what the Christian mission is here for the foreseeable future, as far as I'm concerned. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And we are recording this episode slightly before Christmas, which means that Cameron has gone down a dark hole of scrolling through Facebook ads for church Christmas invitations for Sunday morning. And yeah, I wish I was recording him uh, going through all of his voices and characterizations and commentary on what it is that he's been. I can't stop myself. I don't know what it (laughs) is. Tell us about it, Cameron. No, I mean, I, well, there's no defense this, this behavior is indefensible. Essentially. I found myself, I mean, I just clicked on one. And of course, if you click on one, it just keeps spitting more of these at, at you. And I was just laughing really, really hard. And I just kept watching them. And I know these are, these are sincere invitational efforts to, to get extra people in the door. So there's just, there is no flattering way for me to say that I'm hate watching these videos of churches trying to sound, trying to look really cool and doing the precise opposite of being cool. But anyway, <laughs> there you yeah, so there it. you so, go. <laughs> if, you're, yeah. if your church so, is thinking if you're a of a marketing campaign, these videos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if your church is thinking of a marketing campaign and you want to run it by Cameron for a genuinely cynical read, yeah, let us know. That's the service he now provides, apparently. Okay, <laughs> that has nothing to do with the topic of the day. Um, what we want to talk about is the U.S. life expectancy, and. You know, maybe you're like, well, that's a bit of a downer of a way to end and begin a new year to think about this. But it is a notable factor that life expectancy for Americans is at a 20-year low. Now, um, you combine that with a 0.4% growth rate, I think, in 2022 as well. Um, And so there's a whole demographic conversation that's happening there. But Mm -hmm. probably, so I don't know where we'll go with this. One might be in in the future of what that means for like, employment and the job market and all of that. The other is why the life expectancy is decreasing for people. Um, COVID, I mean, a lot of people say COVID. COVID did play a role in that. However, COVID is like third on the list. Um, you know, even in even at its peak in 2020, it wasn't the largest killer. Heart disease was um, and is by far. So um, then you look at basically people studying this would say largely due to lifestyle and drug overdoses is what's dropping this particularly drug overdoses among like the 20 to 30 year old crew um or 20 to 40 year old crew people in their 20s and 30s when you are losing people there at a disproportionate rate that's going to affect your overall life expectancy um some glimmers of hope there were two groups that it increased for so hispanic and black men their life expectancy did increase but for the population of Americans on general were at a 20 year low. So happy new year, everybody. Well, I mean, it's astonishing because once again, you're, you're in a moment that is so filled with convenience and an amazing, well, a pronounced emphasis on health and well-being. So we're not, we're not suffering from a lack of information. We're not suffering from strategies for better health this well, has wait, hang on a second much, though because yeah because we talked we talked about this 
couple of months ago, I think. I looked this up. Do you know what percentage of the U.S. population is considered to be healthy? Let's hear it. 2.7 or something like that. It's 2 point something. 2% 2, 2 wow. of Americans are healthy from a medical standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, that I suppose is not. But again, I just, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, but this is worth worth stressing. We talk a lot about recovering a proper Augustinian anthropology, really a biblical anthropology that stresses the primacy of the heart in everything that we do. So that means our affections and our loves and the habits we form are much more, I mean, we're, we're defined by our affections rather than by what we know. And so I think we're at a point where we have tremendous, we have reams of information on, on health, but that staggering figure you just quoted shows that, yeah, the information is necessary, but insufficient. So a lot of people would rather follow the, follow their appetites, I suppose. Than yeah, so I'm, yeah. So how do we, I mean, so this is, this sound like, I think people could, and all of us know people who have died in the last several years. So we're not, we're not making light of death, but we are, and there are times to mock death. That's, that's for sure. Um, but we're not, we're not discounting the sorrow involved in, in the human experience of all that at, at all. What I think makes this interesting is it's, this is not death from starvation. All of our leading causes of death are from excess. Excess, yeah. Well, and so that's that's yeah. what makes it a, a bit. Yeah, I don't know how to process that exactly. I mean, you there are a lot of people who are going to die from deprivation all over the world this year, and we live in a culture that is basically eating and drinking itself to death. Yes, and that's been the case for a while. I mean, I think the U.S. is probably one of the most seductive places in the world. But here's, let me throw a question at you, Nathan, because I'm curious about how you'll wrestle with this. What would you say to somebody who says, okay, but what about quality of life rather than quantity of life? You know, health and well-being is, is fine, but I also want to enjoy my existence. So there's nothing wrong with eating, quote, unhealthy food if it, if it enhances your enjoyment, your conviviality, if you're hanging out with friends, you know nobody's going to live forever. So why pretend like we are going to live forever? Or why, you know, adopt habits that are essentially so rigorous and ascetic? Just live your life and mm -hmm. enjoy yourself. I mean, don't let health be a primary driver. I'm trying to frame this in a way that's not a straw man. I, I'm afraid I have a little bit, but you get, you get the sentiment there. No. Yeah. Well, and so I, but I, but I think the reason that it's a good question is because there's a degree to of certainty to it that, um, resonates very much with the Christian heart, particularly when you get toward uh, maybe the later stages of life and you say, you know what, I'm not going to go through all these treatments and I've lived a good life right. and I feel so loved and blessed and um, living, staying alive is not necessarily the the highest. We just, we just did like we talked about, you know, death is not the worst thing. So in that context, what you're saying, there is a little bit of pushback there, or as my uncle jokingly likes to say, if you eat healthy, you don't live longer. It just seems longer, uh, you know, playing <laughs> yeah, right. at the idea that the unhealthy food is the stuff that we really enjoy. Um, so, so there's a, there's a bit of that, that, yeah. Okay. I get that. That being said, the, the concept that our lives are not our own has not 
saturated all the way down to the way in which we treat our physical bodies, I think, in American Christianity. And I've been staring at, tell me if you think this is true. I've been looking at the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus and the disciples, and he asked them to sit there and watch with him and they fall asleep. And he, when he comes back to them and says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's not a description. That's a condemnation. I think. Go back and read that sometime. I don't think he's just saying like, yeah, yeah that's how it is. I think he was, he, it, it was in the middle of him. Could you not stay awake for one hour and pray with me at this time? You know, it's, it's in that, in those sentences mm -hmm. that, that he says that. And so I think we do have a tendency to perhaps spiritualize our lives to the detriment of the physical, not just in our physical bodies, but in the treatment of other physical things. And even maybe, maybe at times, um, the environmental impact of our excess around us uh, takes a, a significant toll as well. So the physicality of our belief, um, you know, well, so, uh, well, here's another one. So, uh, Gary Thomas, I think wrote a book called everybody matters, get it? Like everybody matters, everybody matters. Um, and he points out like one of the leading causes of death for preachers is a heart attack. And let's say that you have a heart attack when you're 65, you probably just short circuited the best 20 years of your ministry. Like your value as a minister increases with age. And so for every decade or year that you take off of your own life because of excess does have radical implications for the Christian communities around you and your grandchildren and the way we remember the past and all sorts of like the, the, so, I mean, there's a financial cost to that for sure, but the communal cost of destroying the gifts we've been given is severely high as well. So I'm not giving you one answer. I'm just kind of throwing a number of ideas out there in sort of a nebulous fashion, and maybe we can pull something out of them. Well, what I think is really powerful there is to focus on the fact that your life is a gift to you and not your own. And so therefore, the proper attitude towards your life is one of stewardship. And what I love about the Bible, when you look at scripture, is of course, you get a balanced perspective on on enjoyment. So it's not nothing but abstemiousness and asceticism. It's it's a proper balance. I mean, this is why the Apostle Paul says, I buffet the body and make it my slave. By if you're not careful, I mean, naturally what we all what most of us will drift into is being controlled by our bodies and our urges. Well, and that's and that's crucial that you mention that because when you look at even, you know, Paul, for example, when he's like, teach this to the young men and this to the young women and this to old women and this to old, like the thing that in every single category is commanded to be taught to everyone is to practice self-control. Like right. that is the primary categorical focus. And so when Paul says, I, I buffet my body, you know, that idea, he's not doing that like, this is for me, but he sees that as an integral part of what all Christians should be working on. So. Hey, and I'm going to eat a bunch of cookies at Christmas. So that's, I, yeah. I recognize that, but there's, there's a balance in there of saying that we have to have the fasting to go with our feasting here in order to make sure that the pro proper mastery is at play. Yeah. And going along with that, I have to, I have to point out that enjoyment fits into that disciplined life as well. We don't often think about it in these terms, but certain strains of Christianity 
have a tendency to fetishize suffering a little bit. And mm -hmm. I say this yep. as a person who is inclined to do that myself. So for me, celebration is a has to be a spiritual discipline sometimes. I'm not saying I'm not mm -hmm. prone to excess and overindulgence. Of course I am. But I'm saying that actual feasting is a challenge for me. There are some people who are, who are you know, bigger partiers than others. It'll probably come as no shock to our listeners that I'm, I'm not a natural-born partier. And I'm using <laughs> the word party here. But there are times for feasting and for partying and for celebration. And so... Uh, let me, let me, can, can I interrupt with an anecdote here, here to prove yeah. your point? So a couple years ago, Cameron and Stuart and I were at a an evening gathering. This is, this is a bit of a party, I guess. And everybody's having a good time running around, eating their people grilling and chatting and people. There's, there's like, is a house by a lake. And so people were swimming and kayaking, all of that. And Cameron and Stuart and I were sitting by ourselves on a bench talking about why lakes make people feel calm. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> do you remember, do you remember that Cameron? Yes. We're, we're sitting there psychoanalyzing what it is that people are enjoying about the thing that we were supposed to probably have been enjoying at the time. So yeah, if you're one of those people, you might need some help e uh, easing into the uh, festivities. Yes. And I think, but another aspect that of what you were saying, so enjoyment is part of discipline. That's really what I want to stress. So Christianity is not some stingy, you know, joyless exercise. I mean, just look at look at the the Psalms of of praise. Look at Song of Solomon. I mean, everything from wine to the joy of physical love is extolled and celebrated. So, but there's a balance there. Well, and yeah, even, the joy of driving your car wouldn't be there if your car didn't have brakes. I mean, I've done that before. That's it's a not good way fun. to put it. So, you know, yep. it's yeah. But also, there's a there's a good there's a a rich ancient Greek line of thinking here with basically having to do with Epicureanism. And Epicureanism is all about enjoyment. But one of the principles of truly enjoying something is that you don't overindulge. Because what happens if you do overindulge all the time? This is actually a huge problem in, in the United States, actually. This is a huge problem in the West. If you overindulge, you dull your senses and you lower your sensitivity rather than heighten it. And it requires you basically have addictive behavior happening now. It requires ever more mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. please you. Whereas if you practice a certain level of abstemiousness, now this was, again, this is pagan thought right here, devoted purely to really enhancing your enjoyment. But even there, the under they, they understood, I think quite wisely, that excess dulls the senses and ruins your enjoyment. And I mean, we live in a modern moment now where instant gratification is available pretty much 24-7, whether it's through our devices, whether it's through recreational drugs or alcohol, you, you name it. And so it's not that surprising to me that this stuff is, is kind of out of control right now. Cameron, you used the word abstemiousness, which I'm pretty sure I've never heard somebody use in a sentence or even seen in print. And you've done it twice in this podcast. Congratulations. Thank you for expanding our vocabulary in addition to your good thought there. Um, yeah, so, okay. So take that. 
Well, so I'm thinking, you know, like as we're linking this back to the topic, when somebody overdoses, it's because of that perpetual use of something that dulls your sensitivity to it to the degree that you have to use more to the point that it kills you. So there's a very like excessive, sure. yeah. yeah, very sobering vision of that exact thing that you're speaking of there. But I guess for me, the overall, I, yeah, I guess the whole thing just makes me sad because it is preventable. Um, and it is largely not a medical shortcoming. It's, is it hopelessness? I mean, what's the, because you and I embrace and approach life as a very good thing. And we approach death as not the worst thing, but for a lot of people, life is terrible. I mean, suicide factors yeah. pretty highly as a death, as a cause mm -hmm. of death for younger people now. So it's a very important question. That, yeah. Yeah. I have two thoughts here on on this one. One of one of them is yours, and one of them is involves a description of a visionary that I heard recently that I thought was was helpful. So let's start with the visionary piece because this reminds me of our friend Kenneth Boa. He's a little bit like this. Mm -hmm. So the visionary, one way of looking at a visionary is a person who sees riches and unbelievable complexity and you know, just extravagance where everybody else just sees the everyday scenery. So if you're with Ken Boa, by the way, you know, if you're just walking down any street, he will immediately be completely captivated by the trees, by some flower, by some intricacy that everybody else will just overlook. And he'll and he'll he'll be drawing amazing analogies and amazing ideas from patterns that he's just glimpsing. And we all have access to that same to that same scenery, that same data. But he's seeing and making these vital connections. That's that's being a visionary. I'll I'll tell you what this has to do with what, what your question is in just a second. You're probably thinking, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> I'm holding my breath. And the other one involves your idea of trying to take shortcuts to insight. Yeah. Mm. So life at its heart is absolutely amazing and filled with extravagance, filled with absolute beauty, vital connections. And I'm not just talking about the gorgeousness of the created order. I'm talking about the gorgeousness of human friendships, human love, you know, sharing a meal together. All of this is so incredibly amazing because it didn't have to be. But the way to see it like that is you have to see it as gift. And that's the way, mm -hmm. that's the Christian story, by the way. Creation is gift. God doesn't depend on his creation and he didn't need any of us. So you don't have to exist. You get to exist. And so if you think about creation as just charged and filled with, with significance and beauty, you have, and you, you, you have to refine your vision for this a little bit. So it takes time and it takes worship does this. This is what worship gears you to do as well. It gears you to appreciate, one of its outworkings is to appreciate the wisdom of God's creation, because the wisdom language is what's used in scripture when, it, when we're talking about the created order. But we've talked about this before when we talked about shrooms and, and the use of psychedelics, which is, is immensely popular right now, and I'm not surprised. We talked about, you mentioned that some of these are shortcuts. They're ways to try to 
get to a, a sense of revelation by you know cheating essentially mm-hmm. and it com- and they come with a, they come with a large cost and one of the biggest costs is that it comes at the expense of dulling your senses so ironically in an effort to enhance your senses you actually end up dulling them to seek that kind of intensity and i think you don't have to take recreational drugs to do that by the way there are very there are, i mean there are many ways to do that we do you can do that just simply by seeking constant gratification somebody some people do this through sexual conquest others do this through nonstop entertainment i mean just think about the notion that you're putting junk food into your mind all the time that mm-hmm. those kinds of pursuits and again just so i don't sound like a killjoy here i've already <laughs> said that enjoyment is part of the discipline of i know linking enjoyment with discipline is will seem like the opposite of enjoyment to many people but it's part of the discipline of a balanced life but majoring only on enjoyment will actually kill enjoyment for you. Yeah. Don't you think, though, that some of the biggest pleasures of life are only retro, are like they're retrospective, though? Yes. Like you didn't, you didn't build them, um, but you look back on them and delight in what happened. And so it's a form of gift that isn't even just your life. It's the quality of the life that you have based off of the thing that you didn't try to organize in the past that turned out to be really beautiful when you look back on it. So there's there's a sense in which like the richest things we can't even construct. And so yeah, being stoned for the night doesn't really I mean, so there's so much here that for me like in the hopelessness thing, like when you listen to people talk about their spiritual experiences or their trips or whatever like or their uh sexual adventures or whatever like for the christian listening to so much of this is kind of like listening to somebody brag about their moped at a harley davidson convention like yeah like you that's okay that's cute but it's not mm-hmm. really tapping into what's possible and so that could come across as a bit of arrogance or it could just be true that there is a level of, so we're talking about self-control. Think about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of that precedes the self-control, right? So we're talking about tapping into a quality of life that is, I've come that they may have life to the full. There's a fullness and a richness that Christ is intending for us to step into. It could include you getting killed very likely. Um, those aren't mm-hmm. antithetical, but this is where the church has a marketing problem. I think, um, where, you know, you're looking at the Facebook ads of like how many little drummer boys can we suspend by their suspenders from the ceiling to get people <laughs> to come to church? Like, okay, that's entertaining. But there isn't really a good way to digitally capture satisfaction and fullness of life that Christ offers as a way for people to begin to explore entering into not the church building, but into the life of the church proper. That makes me sad. So it's one thing when something bad happens. It's a tragedy when something bad happens that could be preventable or that there's clearly an alternative to. And so I think that's the the tension and the difficulty that I always wrestle with in these um, types of conversations when we're looking at some of the, our modern forms of brokenness. Yeah, I mean, and also the notion that, I, I know why pastors do this. It makes perfect sense. People flock to two services on the calendar year who don't normally go to church, right? They'll go to a Christmas service and they'll go to an Easter service. And so this becomes... That's right. So this becomes the big 
evangelistic outreach service. But there's a sense in which, well, there's not a sense in order to, I mean, and the, the notion is that, you know, these are two amazing climax moments in the Christian story. And so therefore they'll carry this beautiful intensity that will just reach the people right there. But the truth is the type of insight that you gain into the Christian story is cultivated through the refinement of your vision. And that's through repetition. That's through habit. So that means you have to go to church Sunday in and Sunday out. You have to, I don't know if that's a phrase. You have to keep going to church. You need that repetition (laughs) and it will, you're right. It'll often seem boring in the same way. And this is an analogy, an analogy I heard somebody else use once and I thought it was very profound and I wish I knew their name so I could give them credit. Just know this is not me. But somebody had said once, so many of these worship songs that I hear, I've, I've heard them, I've heard them many times. And so many of these messages that I hear from these, these pastors are just so repetitive. Just, I've heard them so many times. And this gentleman just said, well, my wife has probably told me she loves me thousands of times, but I don't get tired of hearing it and I need to keep hearing it. And I think there's, there's, there's some real profound truth to that. We, there are certain, there are certain things we have to hear over and over again, and certain things that deepen as, as you go through the, through the repetition. And so the same is, is true of that Christian story, but to be formed in it, I'm, I'm, leaning into the patience aspect, Nathan, because so much in our cultural surroundings when it comes to, and this is what's affecting our life, life expectancy, so much hangs on the notion of speed. We want to do it faster. We want to do it, you know, I mean, we want velocity. We want, we want to get the insight instantly and we want to make this more accessible and we want to get as many people as possible, but we're human beings aren't made that way. We are crafted to, again, we're crafted for long-term transformation, lasting transformation. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen instantaneously. And that's why the whole shortcuts strategy is so insidious. It makes perfect sense to me. And I understand the temptation. But it will undermine the way you're actually made. And it's the wrong yeah. way to approach getting, getting those insights that you need. Do you think, yeah, so that's really helpful. I'm, I'm conflicted by two other lines of, of thinking I want to weave in here. One is, okay, so the U.S. life expectancy has decreased to an average of 76 years, which is still like double what it's been for humanity for oh, yeah. <laughs> most of our existence. So that there's that there's that factor. That's pretty great. But even Old Testament, three score and 10, 70 years was kind of seen as like, hey, if you live to see your children's children, that was a blessing from the Lord. Um, so all things considered, it's dying when you're in your 70s is not bad unless you strategically or unstrategically made choices that, yeah, brought it there. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm stuck there a little bit on like not wanting to draw any judgmental lines on the actual date, but more of the way in which we get to it. So that's going on in my mind um, as we discuss some of this as well. Yeah. I mean, I think as we sort of bring this to a close, I mean, one, one final, final thought here, which is worth weaving in because it's, it's part of this conversation. You have to use the G word, the Gnostic word. 
but oh, we do. Yeah, didn't see that one coming. Yeah, but a lot, you know, when whenever you read about modern tendencies, there's there are certain theologians who just love to bring up the Gnostic tendencies of modern people. But it's true, and this applies here. So there were two. Speaking broadly, there were two major kind of termination points for for Gnostic tendencies. There was the one the Gnostics tended to view the spiritual as superior and the material as you know sort of a less you know a less glorified realm darker you know something that you had mm-hmm. to suffer through so the the spirit is superior so there are two ways that you, two outworkings of that broadly speaking one would say you live very ascetically right and you 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 just subject yourself to rigorous discipline and you absolutely enslave your appetites you might say but the other runs in the opposite direction and you just go you just go toward unfettered excess because it doesn't matter the created realm is of no real significance so why deny yourself now there are tamed versions of this i'm not suggesting that this is what but there are tamed versions of this that enter into the church and one of them that i see quite a lot in i'm going to be honest in in a lot of conservative evangelical circles is the is the excess piece and the notion is that, well, you know, I'm concerned with spiritual matters. You know, I, I want, I'm concerned with saving souls. I'm concerned with spreading God's word. So it doesn't matter if it, what I eat doesn't really matter. I have more significant, more profound things on my mind. Given the book that Nathan quoted at the beginning of this podcast, that actually is not true. If your life is, in fact, a gift to you and you are not your own, an outworking of that would be stewardship. And also, if, the number one killer of many pastors is is a heart attack. And if, if heart disease is so high, it's worth taking into consideration your physical well-being as well. Because that's that's going to be part of the work that you do. It has to be, of course. Just well, because that your for physical your, well-being is a crucial part of your who, who you, are. you are. Your that's body you is are. not incidental. Like all persons are embodied. Yep. And your body is a gift. So yeah. Well, because there's the way Take there's the way to gift. overdo it though, and and so I, I guess the, the the challenge is is that it it has been so there's the gnostic element to it, but then there's also like the whole modern health like we're going to save ourselves by healthy eating and living and being an exercise fanatic, and you know we're going to run a marathon when we're eighty kind of thing, and you go to Whole mm-hmm. Foods and listen to a, a narrative of salvation by diet, yep. and that is excessive where you're eating to live. And it's delusional because you will die. Right. Yeah. So so there is a false version of this. We're not going all full-on, full-bore hippie on you here. We're just pointing back to a biblical a anthropology and, and, a, and a balance of saying, no, um, your physical body is good. And then, and, and that's an easy, uh, most people you can convince of that. However, the bigger challenge, I think, for our time is to convince people that the world is good enough to look at that you don't need to chemically neuter your brain right um in order to avoid it and that storytelling is a rich part of what the christian mission is here for mm, the foreseeable future as far as i'm concerned very well said nathan and you introduced a stunning new thought at the very end of the podcast we'll have to spend another i think it would be fruitful to talk on another podcast on how all of our ostensible efforts to enhance our sense of reality 
actually represents a flight from reality in many ways. So if you're yeah. if you're seeking various forms of inebriation or if you're if you're going into mind altered states, there's a good chance you're probably trying to escape from the world itself as well, which I think is understandable. But we would want to hasten to point out, you don't actually need to do this. Is God's world, and that I think is a powerful thought for another episode. But thank you so much for listening. We hope this wasn't. We hope we weren't too too much of you know the killjoys or the Debbie Downers as we talk about the new no, year we're just- and. Two bumps on the log saying, there are beautiful things in this world. Come along and see. Yeah, that's the way to look at it. But anyway, you've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Have a happy new year. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.